Heads up, everyone. The following interview has a few curse words in it. I mean, we're talking about Kevin Smith's work in this. Of course we're going to curse. But if this is the kind of thing that bothers you, it's only a handful and mostly in the middle of the interview. Thanks for listening. When I was 12, I exclusively wanted to watch Ben Affleck movies. It's an incredibly specific thing for a child to demand. <laughs> but Ben Affleck was the star of the 2003 superhero film Daredevil. Naturally, I was in love with him. <laughs> My living room was home to a year-long event, the Ben Affleck Film Festival, <laughs> where I was the only attendee. <laughs> Hello, fellow geeks. With me today is someone I kind of know virtually, but I should know personally because they are also from the Kansas City area, which is where I spent a good 20 years of my life. But I don't think we ever actually met in person, and I also was not quite sure if we knew each other from the theater community or from the film community, because I've dabbled in both. They are a filmmaker from, is it the, it's not Aletha. I'm from Olathe. Okay, from the Olathe area. I'm an Olathe boy. <laughs> Sav Rogers. We kind of know each other through sci-fi yeah. connections. Yeah. But uh, they are in LA for one very important reason for, for the TED Talk and for yeah. an Outfest. So I thought they would be a great person to talk about in terms of being a filmmaker as well as the topic of what their uh, latest film has been about and uh, being LGBT in the Midwest. Welcome to Geek Out. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, as I mentioned before we started recording, a lot of my podcasts, I like to go into origin questions. And maybe that's the sci-fi person in me. I'm always a big fan of, <laughs> you know, what radioactive bug bit you to turn you into a, a filmmaker. So, Well, luckily I gave a whole <laughs> TED Talk about it. So. so, I mean, what made you decide to go into filmmaking versus like any of the other arts? Sure. Or, you know, even just accounting. <laughs> like I said, I so I gave this TED Talk about how I saw the movie Chasing Amy as a 12 year old and how it totally revolutionized my life so after seeing chasing amy and you know perhaps seeing myself on screen for the first time you know through the depiction of uh Alyssa jones's sexuality in the movie or the characters of Alyssa and holden kind of together to kind of like you know help me identify you know things about myself i was like oh i want to be a writer oh this is this is so beautiful i love this like i feel really you know, as much as a 12-year-old can process the importance of representation, I, you know, felt seen and I was like, oh, I want to write too. You know, if I can write something half as good as this, maybe I could be a good writer. So yeah, that was the thing that bit me, that made me, you know, want to get into the filmmaking thing. At 16, I think I decided like, oh, I want to make movies. I want to write and like make them into movies or TV or something along that kind of visual medium just because I really enjoyed that as a storytelling medium. I, I watched a lot of TV, I watched a lot of movies. That was how I saw the world as a, as a kid, kind of landlocked in Kansas, who hadn't traveled a ton or seen a lot of different people or you know uh, anything like that. So Chasing Amy was really that, that big thing for me. So what's, I mean, you said that the, the on-screen representation, was that the primary thing that drew you to Chasing Amy? No, it was just a beautiful love story. You know, it wasn't until years later that I really processed, you know, what that meant for my identity. But I was just really drawn in. I thought it was a really 
lovely love story. It didn't have necessarily a, a super happy ending. I was also drawn to the movie Moulin Rouge in that same way. There were tons of movies that I watched as a kid though that I think kind of helped shape me home for the holidays being another one of them. I wasn't really into that one for the love story. Like basically the rapport with Robert Downey Jr. and Jodie Foster was a big thing. And I basically grew up to have Robert Downey Jr.'s personality from that movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, you went to the University of Kansas. I did. Uh, is that for your undergrad? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, grad school, I don't think it's for me. I can't, I can't say <laughs> that long and I just want to make I just want to make stuff as much as possible though you know if someone was like oh here's a bunch of money to go to grad school I'd be like well yeah of course I want to learn more but uh, I think I think I'm done with college at the current moment mm-hmm. so, yeah. now University of Kansas is, is fairly well known for their, their film department am I correct in that I don't know about that, but it's the best one around Kansas, I would say. But we have some great professors there. I say we like I'm still there. But, oh, nice. but Kevin, but Kevin Wilmot just won the Oscar for uh, co-writing Black Klansman with Spike Lee. You know, we have some really incredibly talented people teaching there, and so I, I felt lucky to have that experience. But it's not represented on year-end top fifty film school lists because we just don't have the resources. I think that a lot of these like coastal kind of schools do. Mm-hmm. So in terms of getting from from Kansas to LA, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about how how that happened. Sure. So it actually started with an opportunity to go to New York. I had been working on my documentary Chasing Chasing Amy for a little bit, trying to figure out how to do this without knowing Kevin Smith personally, not having any connections to him. You know, my network hadn't really expanded out to New York or Los Angeles that well yet, but I was playing the festival circuit. You know, I graduated from KU Film School and basically I took a year to really decide what I wanted to be doing. And during that year, I decided that I wanted to start on Chasing Chasing Amy to really explore what Chasing Amy meant to me, but also other LGBTQ people. And uh, I started writing a couple of scripts that really meant something to me. And during that time, I applied for the TED residency in New York. So basically, I saw it on a Facebook ad and I was like, oh, I didn't know Ted had a residency. Kept scrolling past Facebook. I was procrastinating on writing a script called Pancake Skank. But it's, uh, the ad popped up again and I was like, all right, well, might as well apply. The worst thing is that I'll never hear from these people. And then a month later, I found out that I was a finalist. Uh, I was the last person they interviewed for it. And they thought my idea was so specific and weird and uniquely suited to me and that I had a good angle for it. And so they were like, all right, come to New York give a TED talk and and work on your documentary. And so I moved to New York uh, September of 2018. I left December of 2018 because I found out that I got a fellowship through Outfest in the Los Angeles LGBT Center called the Outset Fellowship, which basically is an initiative for filmmakers 16 to 24 to come in and, and make a bunch of short films together. And so that's how I ended up in LA, but it ended up being perfect for Chasing Chasing Amy because I was already here for the fellowship when the TED Talk came out. And so I got a phone call from Kevin Smith shortly after the TED Talk came out, and he was like, hey, where are you living? And I was like, L.A. And he was like, great, do you want to come over and see the new Jay and Silent Bob movie? And I said, yes. So very serendipitous, and it was just a a nice coincidence that this Outfest thing kind of provided to be fruitful for this completely separate endeavor that I was pursuing. Lot to unpack in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you want an origin story. I got a. I got a hell of a one, Angie. We'll fucking do it. Well, you know that's. Am I allowed to swear on this? Oh yeah. Oh great. It's gonna get explicit in here. <laughs> 
let's kind of start with, uh, for those who may not be familiar, um, a brief summary of what Chasing Chasing Amy is about. Yeah, Chasing Chasing Amy is a documentary exploring the cultural impact of Chasing Amy as a queer film, but also its impact on my life. So we're assessing, you know, its place in LGBTQ film history, what it means to LGBTQ people, good and bad, and how it affected my journey as, as not only a filmmaker, but a, but a person, and how no matter what has happened in my life, this very specific 90s film, this 90s indie movie, directed by a straight dude, kind of revolutionized my life. Yeah, it's been, it's a very strange, specific experience, but I think in specificity comes universality. And I think there's a lot that we can, you know, explore about queer cinema in this movie too. So I'm stoked. And so to clarify, you had the idea for the documentary before you did the TED Talk. It didn't come out from the TED Talk. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was trying to figure out a way to be able to reach people and basically, you know, prove that even though I was a kid with no feature credits or anything like that, that I was qualified to make this movie. And the TED Talk definitely gave me some legitimacy. But it was also an opportunity to reach the 12-year-old kid in Kansas that that needed to hear that, I guess. You know, I I get emails semi-frequently now from parents who watch the TED Talk or tweets from parents who watch the TED Talk and they're like, I'm showing it to my kid tonight. Or, you know, I showed it to my kid. I cried, you know, thank you for sharing your story. And so I'm hoping that through sharing some of the hardships in my life that it can be easier for other people, but also to illuminate the importance of being able to see yourself on screen. Hmm. You know, it's not, it's not hyperbolic when we say we need to be able to see ourselves. It provides the feeling of being a human, you know, because if you don't ever see someone like yourself, you don't know what you are. It's, it's a very strange phenomenon. Lupita Nyong'o uh, was quoted one time talking about how when she saw Oprah in The Color Purple, that like that was the moment she was like, oh, I, I can do that. I can be an actress. And look at her now. I mean, Academy Award winner, you know, providing a lot of good in the world. And that's just because Steven Spielberg decided to make The Color Purple and happened to cast Oprah and Whoopi Goldberg and these amazing actors in this movie. And, you know, Lupita Nyong'o saw it. And now she gets to do that. I mean, that's just one example. If you listen to these these actors or filmmakers tell their origin story, it's pretty incredible to hear what gave them the power to pursue what they wanted. It's it's pretty incredible. I, I think my favorite story has to be, and I forget the actress's name, but the person playing Michael on Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. that they got into acting because they saw Whoopi Goldberg on Star Trek, and she got into acting because she saw Nichelle Nichols yeah, in the yeah. original Star Trek. And right. so it's like three generations of Star Trek actors that ended up becoming actors because of that. Absolutely. (laughs) And you can't really underscore the importance of it. I mean, it's also just kind of cool to see if anything good comes out of this movie. I would love it if, like, a trans guy was like, oh, I can do this too. I would love it if a queer dude was like, I can do this too, or for fucking anybody in this community. You know, like, the idea that, like, oh, I can make this movie, and maybe something good can come out of it. I don't know. It's such a specific experience, what I've been going through, but I'm hoping that any success that I'm able to find with this, that it it reaps benefits for everyone else. Cool. And then, so you got to LA, and then, you know, some some unknown filmmaker named Kevin Smith finds your TED Talk and and reaches out to you. Tell me, refresh your memory as to what that was like. 
so the TED Talk came out on April 30th, 2019, so a couple of months ago from the time that we're recording this. And it wasn't a featured TED Talk. So a featured TED Talk means that that's the one they put in their like email blast. To, you know, that's the one that gets millions and millions and millions of views. And mine was not that. But I got the link and I was like, okay. And so I shared it on Facebook. I shared it on Twitter. I shared it on Instagram. I was like, hi, here's my TED Talk. You know, I'd been getting people hyped about it in my own network for a bit. And then um, I'm actually my friend Morgan Dameron, who directed this movie called Different Flowers. She's also from Kansas City. She shared it and then somebody f- who I think is a writer on Supergirl mm-hmm. saw it and Kevin followed that person who is the Supergirl writer and a bunch of other people have been sharing it too and people had been tweeting it at Kevin and stuff like that but I think that was the thing that got him to watch it was that the Supergirl writer had tweeted it at him and within an hour he had seen it and he tweeted it out and was like hey, I know some people who could help you for your documentary if you're interested. (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck? Um, You know, when Kevin tweeted, I was filling up my car with gas to drive to Vegas with my fiance. We were going to go meet my parents down there. And so basically as, you know, my whole world is blowing up and everybody's, you know, being super great and Kevin tweets it out. Like, I'm driving to Vegas, so, like, I and I'm the one that has to drive, and so I'm just like, okay, okay. My, my fiancé read messages <laughs> and, you know, reactions to the Kevin thing. It was insane. And so the next day I, I reached out to his team through the agency that he's repped at, and uh, his assistant let him know. And then he DM'd me on Twitter his phone number and was like, text me. And I was like, okay. And so I texted him, and and then he and then he called me. And was like, hey, wow, that's insane. Like, and we had like a 30-minute phone conversation. And it was uh, it was incredible. He told me about the new Jay and Silent Bob movie. And that there was a six-minute Chasing Amy sequel in the new movie. And that I should come over and watch it. And that he was happy to do any interviews that I needed for the doc. And he suggested some cool ideas. And I'm like, oh, you're willing to do that. Great. And he's just been the most supportive, coolest dude. I... I, I can't say nicer things about Kevin. I know he's been doing a... He just did an interview with KCRW's The Business, and it's primarily about the reboot, but he talks about his getting into the business. And yeah, he mentioned in that, and I know he's mentioned elsewhere, that he's a big fan of, of paying it forward like that. So yeah. uh, while it surprises me, it doesn't, if that makes sense, right. that he did this. Right. And I'm not the only person that he has helped in this way by any stretch of the imagination. A couple of weeks ago, I think he was in Cleveland. He went to Cleveland and he this girl tweeted at him that he she really wanted to go to a show. But, like, her abuser was going to be there in the audience, and she didn't feel safe to go. And so he tweeted back, hey, how would you like two VIP tickets, hang out backstage, you can watch from the wings, and we'll have a great time, and uh, you can feel safe. You know, it's stuff like that. I mean, I'm not the only person that he's helped. I'm just, like, the person that you know (laughs) that he's helped. I think he's a genuinely really great dude, and he goes out of his way to, you know, help the next generation. On our phone call, he was like, you can never bother me. And he was like, if if you're questioning all of your life decisions at 2 a.m., I'm your guy. And, you know, that's, that's really generous for somebody who's as busy as Kevin is. You know, he's mm-hmm. a public speaker. He gets to be himself for a living. He makes movies. He's a podcaster. He... He does all of this stuff, you know, for his media empire. And he'll find time to, to text you back and, like, let you know you haven't, you know, made a terrible decision or, or something like that. He's a really good guy. 
Cool. And you uh, also, if I remember right from your Facebook, uh, he wasn't the only one that noticed the TED Talk. Yeah. Uh, so Joey Lauren Adams, who played Alyssa, noticed it. Uh, I talked to her way before Kevin ever got involved. Um, I actually talked to her before she even went to shoot on Reboot as Alyssa Jones from Chasing Amy. So that was really exciting. But also Ben Affleck caught wind of it. <laughs> um, and he tweeted, hashtag Ben Affleck Film Festival in response, which if you've seen the TED Talk, that is extremely funny because I, I mentioned at the beginning that I had a year-long event in my living room called the Ben Affleck Film Festival that nobody else but me wanted to attend. <laughs> and uh, so it shows he's got a great sense of humor and, you know, he thanked me for sharing my story and uh, that was that was rad. That was cool. It's so strange to me that actors are the people that we lift up the most in the world because really they're just like the theater nerds who like grew up like and got like attractive. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, these people are, you know, they're just as like nerdy as the rest of us. They just have like this real passion for, for acting. And so it just shows that like, he's just a dude. He's just a dude who, uh, who has a sense of humor when they shared the talk. So it was, it was nice to see this guy that people put up as like larger than life. And certainly was larger than life in my own childhood. Just take the time to be like, hey, good job, kid. Way to go. Now, uh, not that uh, Chasing Chasing Amy isn't the quote-unquote reason you're here. It's obviously not the only film project you've done. Yeah. I know, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, and I'm sorry that I'm blanking, but it's there's okay. one that you've been shopping around lately to film festivals. It's not... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a short film called Queen for a Day. It's a four-minute short film that stars Michelle Davidson and Joe Carey. It's a short little comedy about a man whose wife walks in on him trying on drag, and she helps him become a drag queen. It's very short. It's four minutes, very to the point. But it's also, I think it's a hopeful story, which is why what I try to do with LGBTQ films, because it's such a bummer to see the same five stories told over and over again, but it's also a bummer to see everything end in tragedy for people mm-hmm. in the community. So I wanted to do something that was nice and hopeful. Have you seen All Over the Guy? No. It's um, Dan Bukatinsky's independent film uh, that's basically your standard rom-com. It just happens to be between two men. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they're gay is so not the point of the film. Right. Which I found so refreshing because, like you've mentioned, so many, especially the ones like in the 80s and the 90s, Mm -hmm. once uh, Hollywood finally got over the Hayes Code, you know, so many of them were about being gay. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would love to see more LGBTQ movies, queer, trans, anything that really showcase the humanity of LGBTQ people or, you know, how funny they are, how smart they are, or, you know, make it a conflict to where, like, the worst thing that's in their life is not how people treat them for their sexuality or gender identity. What's happening, y'all? This is Toby Owenmeyer from Sense8, and um, I love life, and I hope you do too. And I'm geeking out here with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. Take care, y'all. You can find me on various social media at Angie F. Sutton. I also have a Patreon at that handle. For as little as $1 a month, you can support Geek Out, get the audio files a little bit sooner than the rest of the world, and receive behind-the-scenes stories from all of my episodes. Want to support me but can't afford a monthly commitment? I also now have a coffee account at that handle. You can also support me by rating and writing a review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Finally, be sure to sign up for my monthly newsletter and see links to my social media and all of the places you can listen to the podcast over at my website, angiefsutton.com. If you haven't been by in a while, I've posted a couple of reviews of other podcasts that you might be interested in. And now, back to my interview with Sav Rogers. 
it's a bummer to see you know constant uh, victimization of LGBTQ people on screen. I'm way more offended by seeing something like that than anything like chasing Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> personally, not that I'm particularly offended anyway, but <laughs> you know what I mean. So it's it's nice to to see festivals play Queen for a day to mm-hmm. just have a nice happy ambiguously queer film at their festival. Now, um, is it that one that's been getting some of the awards, or is it another one? I know you've gotten some awards. I have no. I have no. You have an awards page on your website. I do. <laughs> I Tell do. me about some of the awards you've gotten. Oh, that's a weird question. But <laughs> well, I mean, just I mean, not no. I mean, that's just like a funny thing to talk about. Um, well, because I mean it. Yes, awards are not the big thing, but it's also, it helps get your name out there. Totally. And so it it is a a validation of sorts that you are doing something, quote unquote, right. To and trust me, like that. I love to be validated. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess recently uh, I, I won Filmmaker of the Year at the Austin Revolution Film Festival. They named uh, their LGBTQ Filmmaker of the Year award after me, and then uh, they put me in their Hall of Fame. So that was a nice time, you know, to be recognized by a festival that I respect so much and that really helped me grow as a filmmaker. So it was, it was a very sweet time. So what's next on your plate? I read on Facebook that you're going to be leaving L.A. soon. Yes. Is it for good or are you coming back? I mean, I don't know what for good necessarily means. I mean, I've I've lived here for, I don't know, nine months. I would call it a big success. Like, I came here for a specific purpose. I accomplished that purpose and then a couple other things that I didn't anticipate, but have been really nice. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back to Kansas City to spend some time with my family for a little bit. And also because I'm just going to be traveling the entire month of November for Chasing Chasing Amy. Kind of doesn't make sense for me to pay a bunch of rent to live here when I could just have my dog back with my parents and, you know, get to see some of my KC friends. I haven't been back in Kansas City in almost a year now. I've been once in the last year. So yeah, I mean, I'm excited, but I'll be back in Los Angeles for shoots for Chasing Chasing Amy. I'm going to come back for my birthday to see friends and everything like that. But I don't know. It may be a little bit before I live here full time again, if I ever do. Okay. So, I mean, as of the moment in terms of permanent living arrangement, you don't have anything specific in mind. No, I mean, specifically not for Los Angeles. I don't right. think... No, I meant either or. Oh, I mean, yeah, just yeah. generally. I would love to go back to New York sometime, but basically until through the end of the year, I don't plan on, on going anywhere else. We're in talks for uh, a post house right now for Chasing Chasing Amy, and so I may move to that city if that post house works out. But otherwise, I'm just chilling and waiting for the next adventure. Which, I mean, I know, I've been in a, around enough people in LA now to know, yes, you're promoting your current films, but there's obviously one that you're going to be working on next. Do you have any idea what you're going to be doing next? Yeah, I well, depends on how Chasing Chasing Amy works out. I'd like to do my first feature, but I won't get into that because I don't want to be presumptuous. I'm still finishing the script right now, but I've got a couple of shorts that I finished writing. Uh, one's called Pancake Skank. It's like this kind of like acid trip of a short film, kind of like Bonnie and Clyde meets Streets of Fire with a lot of pancakes. So very kind of action-oriented. It's like a graphic novel with motion, and it's basically about this guy, lover boy, who feels very lonely, and he meets the most incredible person he's ever met, the pancake skank, and they, you know, start embarking on cross-county crimes to try to get pancakes. But it's really, it's just a story about this guy who's lonely and meets somebody remarkable and doesn't know how to handle it. And then I've got this uh, mockumentary called Telethon, The Quest to Save Grease 2. 
Uh, so basically, it's a short film about this guy who decides that he's going to make a telethon to save the reputation of the movie Grease 2 and prove ultimately, once and for all, that it's better than Grease 1, which is very much my shit, personally. <laughs> now, a little bit more of a serious question. You had said that one of the reasons you are doing Chasing Chasing Amy and mm-hmm. one of the reasons you're doing some of this stuff is to help increase visibility of LGBT and as someone from the Kansas City area myself mm-hmm. uh, and the Midwest, not exactly the most pro-LGBT uh, area of the, of the U.S., mm-hmm. Do you, you're younger than me, uh, mm-hmm. probably about 10, 15, 20 years. So you obviously grew up in a slightly different time than I did. Sure. But my, my question, I guess, is in your personal opinion and gesturing at the state of politics and the world today, do you think it's getting better? Well, I I feel like I'm uniquely suited to make movies at this present day and time, which I don't if 5 years ago, if 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 you heard that a like a queer trans kid was going to be making a movie about chasing Amy and Kevin Smith was going to be involved. Not that that's a personal anything on any of the people involved with chasing Amy, but I think you would have been like what the fuck is this? I feel like visibility is getting better in the media. Maybe not as quickly as we would like, but I do think it's getting a little better. You're seeing trans guys on TV for the first time. You know, you're seeing uh, women of color running incredible TV shows like Pose, or trans women of color specifically running uh, TV shows like Pose. I mean, I think, you know, in some ways it's getting better. I think that the community is resilient in the face of brazen fascism. I think that we're not going to go back into the closet. I think we're done with that, and I think we're fighting hard, and I think it's paying off, even as things maybe get tougher. But, I mean, there was the first LGBTQ presidential forum ever in Iowa a couple, like a month ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. When I was growing up, like, you know, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton wouldn't commit to saying that they were pro-marriage equality. Like, think about how basic that seems now. And that was in 2007, 2008 when they were running for president. So I do think some things are getting better. Maybe not as quickly as we would like. But, you know, a lot of people that I'm still connected to online are people that I went to high school with. Not that I'm necessarily friends with a lot of those folks, but we're still connected. You know, nobody said a negative thing to me about being trans or queer or anything like that. And I feel really lucky to have such a good support system in that That being said, trans women of color are still being murdered and, you know, there are no consequences for it. The queer trans panic defense is still valid in a lot of states. And I do think that there are many injustices that are not being addressed. So I can't speak for everybody. But for me, I kind of can't imagine growing up in a better time, relatively speaking, to the past, I guess. Like if I'd grown up in the 80s, I don't know if I would get to do what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of things that have kind of made it possible for me to have this life and I think it's a lot of the people who made a lot of sacrifices to make sure that I could have this so is it getting better I don't know do I feel pretty good about where I'm at yes and then I always like to ask creators your one piece of advice that if you could travel in time and meet yourself as you were just starting to decide this is what I wanted to do with my life what would you tell yourself I don't think I'd do any of that. If time travel is real in this scenario, I would be terrified. I, I feel like every single mistake that I have made, every single choice that I've made, anything that's happened to me, good or bad or anything, 
it has led to this present moment. So, you know, if there were no consequences in this theoretical question <laughs> for time travel and being able to say anything, I would probably just be like, relax. You know, you're going to be okay. Or just tell my younger self that you will find community and it will be okay and you will not feel so alone because I think that was a big issue at the heart of what I was feeling as a child. Even if I had friends or whatever, I, I felt very lonely and I didn't know how to connect properly. And by the time I turned 17, I met my fiance. She was not my fiance yet, but by the time I was 17, I had started to find that community. So I would probably either not do anything and just let <laughs> things play out as they did, or just be like, hey, just hold on a little longer. If you can just hold on a little longer, be a little patient, and you know, kind of deal with your circumstances as shitty as they may be half the time, you're gonna be fine. Okay, well then a variation. Say you go back to, you know, when you go back to Kansas, the University of Kansas asks you to come talk about what it's like to be a filmmaker. Sure. And, and someone comes up to you and asks, what can I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in becoming a filmmaker. What do I do? What, what's your one piece of advice? All right. I just didn't answer your question at all. <laughs> well, um, no, no, you answered it well. <laughs> one piece of advice for being a filmmaker? I think this is the thing I say to everybody, but don't wait for permission. There's no green light that you're going to get to get permission, whether that's from your parents or anybody in your family, significant others, professors, teachers, peers. There's nothing. If you want to be a filmmaker, just go out and figure out a way to do it. Most people have iPhones in their pockets. It might be the equivalent of like finding like a mini DV tape camera nowadays and just deciding I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this. Um, so if you can figure out how to just start making things and then learn from your mistakes and don't wait for anybody's permission to do it, then you're golden. And then what would you say is the hardest part of putting together a film for you? Oh, uh, usually the idea comes pretty fast and then I'm like, let's do it right now. Well, right now the hardest part is usually what well, this phase that I'm at, like finding money is probably the hardest part because, you know, I, I want to do right by people and, and try to pay them obviously. But you know, you got to find people that also understand, like, it's not about that. If chasing, chasing Amy was a money-making vehicle that like everybody's going to get rich from. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's a documentary feature and everybody who's there really gives a shit. So I think the hardest part becoming a filmmaker is finding the people who really give a shit and will find a way to come together, right? So finding people that want to do your the camera department, people who want to do sound, finding the people that fill these very specific puzzle pieces for your crew and building a team, and not just a team, like a family. I think that's the important thing is like treating it, treating it like that instead of necessarily just a business transaction, right? I'm sure there are places where being a business transaction is absolutely necessary, like massive studio films. But if you're doing an indie film, you better hope that everybody wants to be there, is volunteering their time because they believe in it, and they're doing something that they're going to get something positive out of it. And that's the ideal team. And so if you can find that, great. That is the hardest part, in my opinion. And then what's your favorite part? What's my favorite part? I love being on set. It's great. Whether I'm interviewing people and just getting to hear their answers for the first time, or if I'm working with actors on a narrative project, that's so fun, you know, getting to try new things and seeing the process and see what happens. I've been shocked so many times on Chasing Chasing Amy, like listening to people's responses, not expecting the the honesty that I get from some people. I'm like, wow, I thought I was going to have to 
pull this you know out of you but people just they they've been really honest with me which has been great and then obviously I love preparing it. Post-production is my least favorite part because I'm just like waiting and I'm like putting together the puzzle pieces and, and hoping that it all comes together. And then you're also seeing the movie that you actually made as opposed to the one that's just in your head. So sometimes that doesn't match with reality the way you would hope, but uh, you know. And then I think besides being on set, the best part is what comes after, seeing people's reactions to it, getting to connect with people because you have this finished thing that you can take out into the world and be like, all right, now let's talk about it. That's really gratifying. And I'm really looking forward to that process with Chasing Chasing Amy because I've put out all of my guts into this movie. You know, I don't know what documentary I could make again after this because I've given everything I have at the present moment and I will continue to give everything I have until we are completely done with it. They were both about the, having a good, strong, supportive community. So you did answer the question. Ah, there we go. <laughs> now, um, we're getting close to the end of my, our time. All right. Um, if people want to know more about you, where yeah. can they find you? Tell me website, social media handles, all that yeah, fun yeah. stuff. So savrogers.com has everything for me. S-A-V-R-O-D-G-E-R-S.com. Savrogers.com. That has everything. And if you want to see some behind-the-scenes stuff of Chasing Chasing Amy or if you want to get some swag when uh, when everything's ready to go, my Patreon account has a lot. So patreon.com slash savrogers. And it's a fun little community. I share stuff from my production diary that I keep. You know, I share whatever I can without giving away the whole thing. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. You just find that all on my website. Awesome. And then before I ask my final question, uh, was there something that you were either hoping I was going to ask or you were expecting me to ask that I didn't or something that you wanted to talk about that we haven't? Oh, I didn't talk about my fiance. I don't, maybe I mentioned her once, but... Um, I mentioned her a couple of times. Oh, good. But I didn't know how, how I, public you wanted to be about that. Oh, so. I love the hell out of her. So I just want to say that I'm super grateful for her because it's part of that really strong support system. I've got really great parents. I've got a really supportive family. I've got the best fiance in the world. I've got really great friends. And none of the career success I don't think is possible without having, at least possible in a sustainable way, and success in air quotes because I haven't accomplished anything that I would like to accomplish, but people seem stoked about the TED Talk, which I'm very excited you had me on for that. But I don't think any of that is possible in a sustainable way without having really great people around you. So I just wanted to say thanks to them. The name of my uh, podcast, as Mm -hmm. you know, is Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. So I try and ask everybody I interview, Mm -hmm. what are you currently geeking out about and why? What about it draws you? Geeking out about... Um, lately, I've been telling everybody to watch Dead to Me. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. Oh, it's so good. So good. Okay. Give me a brief summary. So Dead to Me is a traumatic comedy. It's about dealing with trauma. It stars Christina Applegate, Linda Cardellini, and James Marsden. And it's all about dealing with grief and loss and, and kind of the fucked up ways that that sometimes manifests. It's deeply funny. It's, it's made by Liz Feldman. I love that show. Why? It's it's really it's a really rich character study. I don't want to give anything away, but the Linda Cardellini character on that show, Judy, she makes that show. And basically the entire show rests on the premise that you think that Judy is a nice, good, well-meaning person. <laughs> and I don't want to say anything about that, but I think it's pretty incredible the dynamic between Jen and Judy, Jen played by Christina Applegate, their friendship and dynamic, but how the show really rests on the performance of Linda Cardellini. I haven't seen something like that in a while, where it was like, this show is a two-hander, but it's squarely, like, 
if you don't believe Linda Cardellini, you don't like the show. You don't get the show. And I just think that she's such an underrated talent. And I talk about her all the time on Twitter because I want to make Scooby-Doo 3. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I just love that show. And I've, I've seen it like four times now. It's like, it's only one season's out right now. They're making season two. But it's like 10, 30-minute episodes. Super easy to just like binge and like rewatch over and over again to like see what you missed the previous time. So good. And now, it's time for Angie Geeks Out. Look, I know Disney as a company has its issues. It owns far too many IPs and too many channels and really needs to be reined in with regards to the power it has over the media landscape. But I also know that I have been a Disney fan since I was little, whether it was watching Escape from Witch Mountain and Pete's Dragon when I was small or when I rediscovered my love when they released The Little Mermaid. So... When they announced they were going to launch a streaming service, I knew that, unless the price was too high, I was likely to get on board. Further announcements, not only of the price, but of content, got me even more excited. When it launched earlier this week, I was ready. And I have re-fallen in love with the mouse. Whether it's The Mandalorian, which may get a separate Angie Geeks Out all on its own, or The Lion King 1.5, I am eagerly awaiting getting my money's worth out of the two-year plan I paid for. And I love that it has a mix of newer stuff like Frozen, along with the older stuff like Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And so much stuff, television-wise, that I had wanted to see and just never had a chance to, from the original Gargoyles to the rebooted DuckTales. So, if you like any of the Disney properties, whether it's Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, or just Disney itself, it's a good bet you're going to find content on here that will feed your nostalgia and entertain you for quite some time. You can get pricing information over at DisneyPlus.com. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to Sav Rogers for letting me interview him. Thanks also to Toby Anwar for the mid-show plug. You can hear his interview as well as other cast members from Sense8 in episode 33. Next up, I'll be interviewing science fiction and fantasy author Jody Lynn Nye. Until next time, stay geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Feather Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Pitnikin, available via the Free Music Archive. More information about this podcast is available on my website, angiefsutton.com.